0: The Department of Homeland Security issues an alert warning about vulnerabilities in some Siemens medical devices, and Kaspersky makes nice with Microsoft. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Joan Goodchild. Some Siemens medical imaging products running Windows 7 contain vulnerabilities that could enable hackers to remotely execute arbitrary code. DHS has issued an advisory about the devices, and joining us now with the details is Healthcare Infosecurity Executive Editor, Marianne McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Joan. So give us an overview of what we're talking about here. What are these vulnerabilities and what are the stakes exactly?
1: Well, Siemens has identified four different vulnerabilities in its medical imaging products running at Windows 7 and you know on Siemens website they give a little information about what these vulnerabilities are. The company has promised to offer updates. The Department of Homeland Security also issued an alert Uh, Just basically warning the industry about these vulnerabilities. And and basically what they're saying is that these vulnerabilities could enable hackers to remotely execute arbitrary code. And Siemens seems to be downplaying the potential safety issues this could present to patients But some of the cybersecurity experts that I've talked to that are experts in the medical device area seem to think that they really shouldn't be underplaying this. Because if a hacker does exploit these vulnerabilities, it could be data integrity issues, privacy issues, but also potentially safety issues if they affect the functionality of these products.
0: How unusual is this to uncover these kinds of vulnerabilities in medical devices?
1: it's becoming more common there it's still not something you see every day but the vendors seem to be getting better in terms of publicly disclosing when they find these sorts of issues the Independent security researchers who specialize in medical devices have been finding these vulnerabilities, you know, sort of behind the scenes, for a number of years. And, and most times, security researchers alert FDA or DHS when these things are found. But again, you know, you don't see them that often. But they are becoming more common because I think there's just more attention now to the potential risks that cybersecurity poses in these devices.
0: Great. Marianne McGee with ISMG, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. After we return from this break, ISMG's Jeremy Kirk reports on a feud between Microsoft and Kaspersky that's taken a positive turn.
2: Kaspersky Lab co-founder and CEO Eugene Kaspersky wrote a series of blog posts alleging that Microsoft had tweaked Windows in order to favor its own inbuilt anti-malware software.
1: This is the ISMG security report. ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit, Toronto, taking place on September 12th and 13th at the Delta Hotel, will feature Art Coviello, former CEO, RSA Security, as the keynote speaker. This, plus other subject matter experts from Visa, CA Technologies, Carnegie Mellon, and more, will discuss key information security topics. Register today at events.ismg.io.
0: Welcome back. Kaspersky Lab says it will withdraw antitrust complaints it filed in Europe against Microsoft over how Windows handles third-party security products. ISMG security and technology editor Jeremy Kirk has more on how the move smooths over a year-long dispute between the companies.
2: A spat between Microsoft and Kaspersky Lab has reached an amiable conclusion. Kaspersky Lab says it will withdraw antitrust complaints it filed against Microsoft over how Windows handles third-party security products. It defuses a barbed year-long dispute between the companies. Microsoft says it will make several changes to an upcoming update to its Windows operating system. The update is due to be released later this year. The Modifications include giving antivirus developers more leverage to use their own style of notifications to warn users that their subscriptions are expiring. Microsoft also pledges to give vendors more information about upcoming changes to Windows. Kaspersky Lab co-founder and CEO Eugene Kaspersky wrote a series of blog posts alleging that Microsoft had tweaked Windows in order to favor its own inbuilt anti-malware software. That software, Windows Defender, is free. He contended that the company's antivirus software couldn't notify users when a subscription had lapsed. Microsoft also mandated that third-party vendors use a notification system built into Windows called the Action Center. Kaspersky argued that users paid little attention to messages there. Kaspersky hit a major hiccup in April when Microsoft released its Windows 10 Creators update, which was a feature-oriented refresh. Kaspersky charged that the update deleted the drivers for its software, making it unusable, and then flicked on Windows Defender. In June, Microsoft softly defended how Windows behaved and didn't deny it flicked off some third-party AV applications. It said the applications were disabled due to compatibility reasons. But most security applications ran fine after the update. Kaspersky Lab filed its first complaint last November with Russia's Federal Anti-Monopoly Service. Earlier this year, it filed complaints with the European Commission and Germany's Federal Cartel Office. The resolution with Kaspersky is a sign that Microsoft, which waged years of legal battles with European regulators over Windows, was likely unenthusiastic about facing more antitrust complaints, and it puts to bed yet another dispute in the ever-competitive antivirus market. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio.
3: ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: ISMG Security Report host and producer Eric Chabro is taking the week off. Before leaving, Eric left the second and final part of his interview with Eric Rosenbach. Rosenbach serves as co-director of the Harvard Kennedy School's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. The center recently launched the Defending Digital Democracy Project as a response to Russian government cyber actions to influence last year's American presidential election. The initiative aims to develop cybersecurity best practices and identify information technology to help political campaigns and election officials secure the electoral process from outside interference.
3: Belfort Center co-director Eric Rosenbach sees the digital ledger that allows cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin to function as one of the potential technology tools political campaigns and election officials might adopt to help secure the electoral process.
4: Blockchain is one of those that shows some promise. It's probably not completely mature yet, especially in this space of democratic processes. But if you can operationalize the idea of that immutable ledger, there's something that would go with that that I think is potentially very powerful. And so we want to try to do some research in that area and see if um, that may bear some fruit. What other technologies would you like to explore? Specifically, I don't know what would be the most promising, but if you look at what even some of the tech firms are doing, for example, Google and Jigsaw has offered a kind of suite of technical capabilities for campaign staffs that they could use. That's, to be honest, kind of basic math when it comes to uh, information technology, making sure that you have secure email accounts and that you probably store stuff in the cloud and it's encrypted from point to point. Even that, I think, could really raise the bar on the cybersecurity game of some of the campaign teams and state infrastructure. There are a lot of hardworking people on campaigns in the States, but anyone who's been in this space knows that cybersecurity is hard and it's hard to find the people who are expert enough to try to get you set up when you're, even in a lot of cases, a startup type organization.
3: It's not just technology that will make campaigns and state and local entities that administer government-run registration and voting processes safe from digital interference. Identifying best practices will be a key component of the solutions the Defending Digital Democracy Project plans to offer, and they'll be available through playbooks.
4: Most of the things that you need to do to improve your cyber posture is kind of basic stuff. But if you don't have that all captured in one place and you don't have it put within the context of a campaign, for example, then it may be more difficult for the IT staff who are running these type of organizations to implement it. That's what we want to do is have something that is a collection of best practices in the context of campaign in particular, and then make sure that people can get that and that it's freely available and that we can do whatever possible to try to help them understand that, do some training, and kind of bolster the overall level of capacity. We tailor them to specific types of organizations and also to specific areas of focus. One may be, for example, on improving email security. One on overall data security, maybe how to consider moving things to the cloud in a way to make it more secure. The truth is we don't have those done yet. And what we're hoping to do with the core team that we have in place, and we have several senior advisors on the team who have deep technical expertise, You know, Alex Stamos, the chief security officer for Facebook, Heather Adkin from Google, Dimitri Alperovitch from CrowdStrike. These people really know cybersecurity, and we want to put that then into context. So that's one of the things we'll be working on down the road. What will these playbooks look like? The vision that I have for the playbook, for example, is that it's something that is widely available, has level of technical expertise that is helpful to people who are doing it and it's digestible in a way that people can actually use it too. That's the vision. We're still very early in the process. It's hard to know beyond that exactly what it looks like and how it works, but hopefully it'll be something that is dynamic and that people can go to on a webpage and is accessible pretty widely.
3: For now, the Defending Digital Democracy Project will not reach out to President Donald Trump's Commission on Election Integrity to identify best practices and technologies election stakeholders should adopt.
4: At this time, the voting work that the Trump White House is working on, I think, is distinctly different from what we're working on. You know, I don't have anything to say about what they're working on, but our project is focusing on securing digital democracies from cyber attack, information operations, and I think that's distinctly different from the other effort.
3: Other entities the Defending Digital Democracy project will not engage with, at least for now, are the makers of voting machines.
4: It seems from what you read in some of the news reports from Black Hat that there are obvious concerns in the security of some of the the voting IT infrastructure. So that's something that we may look at down the road. Right now, that's not the focus of our project, though. Why not? We're focusing first on how to protect the campaigns and the election infrastructure from outside attack on their information and data roles, and just haven't yet focused on the issue of the electronic voting machines or not, and that's something that we'll need to consider. When you look at it really candidly in the United States, the use of electronic voting is not as widespread, and so we're just trying to focus our efforts on where we think we can make the most help the most quickly.
3: It seems to be the major challenge that you're facing or, or the nation is facing in developing steps to mitigate interference with the election process is that we have the federal government. We have the 50 states in D.C., local governments and uh, political campaigns and parties and other organizations. It's a lot of different groups there and getting all these different players together, that sounds like almost an insurmountable uh, objective.
4: You're exactly right that that is a huge challenge, but that challenge is one of the reasons why we hope to help in this space, because sometimes states, regardless of party affiliation or party leadership, will be skeptical of the federal government and sometimes with good reason. If there's an actor involved in this that will try to bring together all of those disparate parties and stakeholders that you just talked about, we think that there can be value added there. So that's part of the plan for our project.
3: Rosenbach says the Defending Digital Democracy Project plans to begin publishing playbooks and making recommendations on technologies to adopt in time for next year's congressional election campaign. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro.
0: To listen to the first part of Eric's interview with Eric Rosenbach, go to govinfosecurity.com. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Joan Goodchild. Catch you next time.